country hasn't done nearly enough for climate change. When I open the door, six feet of water. Something you'd never think could happen. That much destruction in a minute's time. We're very concerned that this could happen again. This is just the tip of the iceberg. We're going to see a lot worse going forward. It's very, very sad. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news stories? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome, everyone, to the Debrief Podcast. I'm your host, Janice Huff, in for David Ushery. One terrifying night of storms in the tri-state area opened our eyes to a harsh reality. We're not ready for the extreme weather brought on by climate change, but it's already here. We got well over a month's worth of rain in one night during Hurricane Ida. Wildfires burned endless acres out west, and our nation experienced Atlantic hurricanes more ferocious than we've ever seen. We are all affected. So days after Ida ravaged our area in September, I talked to some experts to tackle the topic, looking at what's changed and what can be done. All right, our guests today are Bernadette Woods-Plackey, Chief Meteorologist and Climate Matters Director at Climate Central, and Dr. David A. Robinson, Distinguished uh, Professor at Rutgers University and New Jersey State Climatologist. David and Bernadette, thanks for being with us. It's great to see you both. It's Good great to see you. What has changed? regarding climate change itself? Well, a lot, really. So I'm going to try and simplify this because this has been a building situation for a long time. It's something that we've understood for a long time. But as we put more greenhouse gases into our atmosphere, we force the earth to warm. That warming is translating into a whole bunch of different things, but it's also accumulating. So what we're seeing now is this buildup of decades of those extra greenhouse gases that are really just supercharging our atmosphere so that everything that's happening is kind of being pushed to some new levels. Mm -hmm. and, and David, over the last few weeks, we've seen extreme flooding uh, here. Um, we've seen, and back to back too, mind you, like within 10 days of each other, uh, record setting flooding. We've seen tornadoes, which, are not unusual in our area. We do get tornadoes on occasion, but these types of tornadoes with this type of damage, we do not see on a regular basis. Um, what with this, these particular situations, we had remnants of storms of hurricanes actually that came our way. And you know, a lot of people, when they think of a hurricane, they think of coastal impacts. Um, they think of wind. Um, when a, a system is a remnant or a tropical storm, they don't think very much about that because it's the, the term, the, the, the saying is, oh, it's just a, it's just a tropical storm. It's just a tropical depression. What do you have to say about the events over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, they've been remarkable. Add to that the fact that we had our sixth warmest August in 127 years in New Jersey and the fourth warmest summer. That EF3 tornado in South Jersey was the strongest in New Jersey in 30 years and only the fifth of that strength in the last 75 years, and none have been stronger. And then we had rainfall intensities with Ida coming in that were in the 500 to 1,000 year return period. So as Bernadette said, we've supercharged everything. And these events would have occurred without humans inhabiting the planet, but we've raised the foundation. So everything that's happening is starting at a higher starting point be it the temperature, the amount of moisture in the atmosphere, the energy in the atmosphere. 
We talk a lot about uh, these storms in terms of one of the signals of climate change, which we've talked about a lot, has been intense rainfall events. And we've seen that happen in numerous occasions in other parts of the country, but now we're seeing it here. I think the visions of the flood, uh, the subways in New York City flooding with cascading waterfalls and a flooding where we're seeing numerous deaths in our area too as a result. Like you said, it's not something that we've actually been dealing with on any type of basis here in our area in particular. Explain to everybody, you just mentioned, David, the 500-year, 1,000-year rainfall. Explain to people what that means, because there is a misconception about what that means. Yeah, it's really hard to wrap your head around that. But let's even go back to the 100-year event. All right. It means that there's a 1% chance of it happening any year. So there was a 1 in 100 chance of it happening this year, and it happened. Does that mean we wait 100 years for it to happen again? Right. No. no, it's got a one in 100 chance next year. And if we start seeing these more frequently, all of a sudden, a one in 100 year event is a one in a 50 year event. Right. Or when we look at Floyd and Irene and now Ida, these are the three largest floods in central New Jersey going back to colonial times. And mm -hmm. they've all happened in the last 20 plus years all from tropical systems, I might exactly. add, which gets mm -hmm. back to your point. But how do we deal with these things? We talk about climate change and its impacts quite a bit. I know you both do quite a bit, and we do on our air. But people who are watching from home say, okay, what do I do? You know, that's, that's a loaded question because one person does matter, but we need a lot of one people added mm -hmm. up. And I think that's the best way really to break it down is your voice matters and mm -hmm. you could have a huge impact. I mean, look at Greta Thunberg. What she has done is really catalyzed the entire movement. So one person does matter. But what we're really dealing with are the mix of personal changes, but systems changes too. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not going to fix this unless we really change our systems. Even with that unfortunately, very good forecast. We saw so many deaths, right? Mm -hmm. So when we're constantly seeing an event push a new level, we don't know what that looks like. We could even hear, oh, three inches of rain an hour, but we don't conceptually know what that means when it comes down. And even if we were fully prepared, and you can model some of those things, but mm -hmm. Our systems aren't ready. Our infrastructure read, wasn't ready. It was still coming down into the subways, even if everybody was out of those. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of layers to that conversation. I'm going to break it down a little bit more. Okay. We know where our emissions come from in the United mm -hmm. States. It's primarily transportation. New Jersey, it's definitely transportation. Mm -hmm. um, but for the whole United States, it's transportation with a very close second being energy. Mm -hmm. We already have so many ways of shifting from a carbon intensive transportation system and energy system to a non-carbon intensive. And I say carbon because carbon dioxide, you know, is involved with that carbon. That's what's warming our atmosphere. If we could eliminate the extra emissions from transportation in our energy sector, we would take care of 60 to 70% of our emissions that we're putting into the atmosphere. And these are with technologies that are already in place and exist. So that's one thing. Agriculture does play a role. It also can play a solution. Also our buildings and, and just how we create things and move around in general, they all play into it. But the two biggest are the ones I want to focus on because personally, we can make those changes, but one person alone needs to add up to an entire system that changes. And the reason I say that too is because 
is another layer to this conversation <laughs> that's really complex for people to, to fully grasp, I think, is that what we're putting into the atmosphere today stays in some form for hundreds to thousands of years. So even if we shut everything down today, we're still going to accumulate more warming, which is going to affect future storms. And they're going to keep getting worse. We're not leveling out where we are, unfortunately. They're still escalating to a new level. So that's why you hear such urgency when people are in this space talking about it, about yes, personal changes and raising your voice. It is very critical. But then building that and multiplying that and doing it really fast. But we also show that we do have an impact. So we can make these changes. And that's the thing that I want to leave people with is it feels so overwhelming mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it is awful to see that many deaths in 2021 from yeah. a well forecast storm system. It just hurts everyone in this space, right? Mm. But we can make those changes for the future. We really do know the causes of these issues and we really mm -hmm. can change them. It is multi-layered and multi-faceted and can be overwhelming. It, it really can. David, Byrne just mentioned Greta Thunberg, who is the uh, climate activist, the young woman that we've seen, of course, uh, numerous occasions on, on the major stage when it comes to climate change. She says young people all over the world are well aware that the people in power are failing us. Bernadette mentioned our infrastructure and there and there's, you know, we saw that with these storms and how the infrastructure, particularly in New York City, cannot accommodate these big rain systems. In a situation like this, what has to happen for municipalities, for governments? How do they start the change? And, uh, you know, what, how, what is the impact for the, for the people who live in these cities? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because Burnett was absolutely right talking about the mitigation side of things. But the mm -hmm. fact is we've gotten ourselves into this predicament and we're not going to get out of it overnight. So we're going to need to learn to adapt mm -hmm. and become more resilient. And that involves, for instance, communication. You know, with Ida, the forecast was good, not perfect. The observations were there from our network on the ground to the to the radar data, um, there was communication. You were out communicating this, Janice, and the weather service was putting out warnings and emergency statements, but it has to go then to the public and they have to be able to accept this communication, whether it's on their phone or off TV or something, mm -hmm. but then they have to know how to react, how to respond to that. And that's where we failed probably worse than any of the other three with this event. None were perfect, but they were all pretty good because we don't know how many lives were saved right. by the communication, but we know too many were lost. And there we have to explain when it says, as you said, okay, it's a remnant of a tropical storm. Yeah, but, and there's going to be flash flooding. Oh, I've driven through that before. So somehow we have to be able to communicate. This was exceptional and just stay in place. I have a colleague who was at a restaurant and was stuck in the parking lot at a restaurant for six hours. And that was the smartest thing they did because they didn't drive off into the water. And the big problem with this event, as opposed to say Floyd, which had some flash flooding in 99, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. was after dark. Yes. And people were driving around and they didn't know what they're driving into. They've ridden on these roads before and they've never encountered that much water. And they got into trouble very quickly. And it's it's just tragic. So communication. so widespread too. Yeah. I mean, this was from like 
well west of Philly up to Connecticut. Usually mm -hmm. it sets up in these sort of corridors where you can focus a little more and get emergency management there and rescue. But this was this was everywhere, which I think was another really hard to handle thing for everyone involved in the entire chain from the communications in the beginning through to the emergency response. Yeah. Yeah, with the communication aspect, because of course that's all of us, but here, particularly with um, uh, a weathercast, a newscast every day when we break in or, or when we're just on a regular basis, is communicating the information. And sometimes it is a struggle because we're trying to get the information out to as many people as we possibly can. Well, now we have all kinds of ways of doing it. It's not just broadcast. We have uh, social media. We have a way of getting out. We have the internet. We have our, our, our own systems here, our website. But I, I, I find that I, I don't know if people are not maybe focusing in and taking it, taking these types of things as seriously as they should, or that whole notion of I've done this before, I've seen this before, I've been through it before, but no, maybe you haven't been through it before. How do we reach, how do we make sure we reach as many people as we possibly can to help save them from these disasters? I contend we reached a lot, but some people didn't know how to respond. Right. And, and that was the tough part of this one, was just shelter in place, unless you're in a basement, get mm -hmm. to a higher floor, Unless you're in a valley and see water coming, get up onto a hillside. It came on so fast. Right. I mean, th there were no aspersions, as I said in a newspaper article the other day, of people that were trapped in water or perished because they were caught off guard. This was really an amazing event. And, you know, you mentioned the infrastructure. We designed things to handle certain levels, mm -hmm. um, our drains our downspouts, our, our retention basins, but they're not designed to handle a thousand year storm, three inches in one hour. So that's when the communication comes in, that we're seeing a situation that our infrastructure can't handle. Therefore, get out of harm's way. Dave's completely right. Communication is so key and all three of us are so involved in that and, and take that dearly to heart. I also think that there's, other layers that the public was dealing with with this, unfortunately, and, and we can dissect and there's going to be a lot of postmortems going on at all of our meteorological conferences because we don't ever want this to happen again. But right. flash flooding hasn't been the primary threat in New Jersey and the tri-state mm -hmm. areas compared to some other threats. People responded well to the tornado warnings, not right. the flash flooding in this right. case. So that is right. one thing that we're going to have to think about how to educate the public on that mm -hmm. and what can be mm -hmm. done and help them understand what that means, especially since this is going to keep adding up. The other thing too is, I mean, our changing media landscape, as you said, Janice, they're getting it so many different ways. And you can't just communicate the severity of what happened through an icon on an app. Right? Exactly. There, exactly. There's more needed to that. And mm -hmm. this is a challenge to all of us to think how we can build that out in the best ways. And the other thing, too, is honestly, I think the public has a level of fatigue of just catastrophe from the past couple of years building mm -hmm. up. And so it's easier to tune things out. I'm not saying that's excuse and I'm not right. saying that's the reason. But when you add all of these together, I think it's why late summer, we're having some okay weather, people were out and about getting ready for the school year. And it's easier to tune some of these things out than others. And so that's, that's a challenge to all of us on how we can mm -hmm. do better. And it is a challenge to the public and how we can bring them in in new ways. 
Uh, great point. Excellent point. So there's a lot happening in terms of a focus on climate and climate change and uh, what, community, what communities have been doing to help com combat that and what we need to do henceforth and moving forward. People hear terms like net zero 2050 and they hear things like global warming to 1.5 degrees C. Break that down in just regular terms. What are we talking about to just the general public and why these terms are important to them? And it's communication. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking 1.5, you're talking degrees Celsius. Right. So that's a problem to begin with in the United <laughs> yeah. States with our English system. Mm -hmm. so it's, and you hear one and a half degrees. I don't care if it's Fahrenheit and Celsius. It sounds like a yawner. That's mm -hmm. nothing. But people don't understand when you multiply that over the entire planet, that's enormous. So somehow we have to tell stories better. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we have to tell, even politicians want to hear stories. Yeah. They don't mm -hmm. want to just see we science nerds give a table <laughs> and a graph and a lot of numbers. True. They want to hear stories because it, it brings it home. And there's stories that we'll be able to tell for Ida. I study polar climates. There's stories mm -hmm. you talk about in polar regions and communities having to relocate. They're climate refugees because the sea ice is behaving differently along mm. their coasts. So these are the kind of stories that brings it home and personalizes it. And that's how I think we're going to have to approach it. Bernadette said it too. It's finding better ways to communicate. You say a, flood, a flash flood emergency. How many more words can you add before you lose the public? Like right. don't drive because your car will start floating in a foot of water and things like that. There's only so much attention span and, and then and bandwidth that you have to convey this information. And 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 the same thing when it came to the heat in the Pacific Northwest this summer and the floods in Germany, and there was an urban flooding in oh, a yeah. city in China. Mm -hmm. um, this is pervasive. This is everywhere. And we've got to learn how to interact between the scientists and the communicators and the people being communicated with. And it's a it's gonna be never ending. Yeah, well, Bern, with people, like, say, if someone's sitting here right now watching from home, and they say, okay, there were floods in China, and there were floods in, in, in Europe, what does that have to do with what, uh, here, for me? How does that change what I do? What is that, what is that, how, why is that important to me? Tell everybody why that is. First of all, everything is connected. The, mm -hmm. We've learned that with COVID. Yes. I mean, that's a great science lesson right there, unfortunately, in, in a very painful way, but everything is connected. However, we un unfortunately don't need to look to China anymore. We've seen it here enough. It is all interconnected and everything we do does have an impact. And, and building upon what you're saying is communication is so key and breaking down these terms, but it's also, it is the storytelling. Dave's so right. And this is where Janice, you're in such a unique position in your whole station to tell these stories and it's personalizing and localizing because we can connect that storm in China to what's going on here. We can connect what's going on in the polar regions to what's going on here and why it matters. Because otherwise you are going to lose people and they're going to tune out. And a lot of this terminology being thrown around, it always makes me laugh because I get very frustrated in the scientific world when they say dumbing it down because it's not. Right. It takes a serious skill to break down these complex subjects mm -hmm. into simple terms. And honestly, I've told this to journalists so many times and meteorologists too is, you don't have to come up to speed on that terminology. That's great in science circles and, mm -hmm. and have that conversation there. But know your audience, right? It's the golden rule of communication. And most people are not 
totally immersed in climate terminology. So right. that's where we're in a really unique position to be able to help them understand what these terms mean in ways that make sense. Well, I wish I could talk to you all night because I could uh, tomorrow and the next day and the next day, but maybe we'll get together again and chat some more because there's so much more to cover. And I appreciate you both uh, for joining me. It's always great to talk to you both, David Robinson and Bernadette Woods-Plackey. Thank you for being our guest on The Debrief tonight. We appreciate it. We also appreciate uh, everyone who helps out with this, our entire team, Melissa Mack and Darren Price and Ben Berkowitz. We appreciate all of you who are listening. I'm your host, Janice Huff, in for David ushery and uh, we'll see you next time on the debrief